Hello and a big welcome back to Expected Goals. We're not necessarily that superstitious here, but seeing as I host the last pod and we got a great result um, at Villa, we've uh, we've decided to stick with me again and, and following that, a fantastic result at home to Liverpool with uh, with late drama added in too. Um, but before we get too into that, we, uh, we have a very special guest. Uh, Liam, of course, is joining us, but we also are joined by John Harrison, goalkeeping expert. How are you today, John? Yeah, good. Not too bad at all. Really, really glad to be on the podcast. Fantastic to have you here. We've got lots of really interesting, fantastic questions. Uh, it's really, really uh, a pleasure to, to have uh, an expert such as yourself uh, joining us. And uh, I think we'll just get straight into it, to be honest. Um, goalkeeping is something that comes under intense scrutiny um, in the media from fans. I think uh, goalkeepers are given quite a hard time um, generally. Uh, you, you you see it a lot. Uh, mistakes are, are kind of magnified uh, to the extreme. Uh, how do you feel about scrutiny of goalkeepers in the media and punditry? I think most notably uh, Roy Keane going after uh, David De Gea, saying he's sick to death of him and, and would fight him at half time. Um, do you think we should have more goalkeeping pundits or experts uh, in TV broadcasting? And 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 how do you feel generally? that uh, the media kind of portrays goalkeeping uh, in the Premier League? Yes, yeah, so I, I definitely think that we need more um, goalkeepers, ex-goalkeepers, goalkeeper coaches potentially to be to be involved in the punditry because like you say, there's a lot of, there's a lot of sort of people just assuming what they think and what they may have heard over multiple years and just, and just going with that. And there's very little, as well as just like actual, just sort of issues with their understanding of the position. There's also there's also basically a, a lack of, of actual in-depth analysis. So, like you say, you highlighted the, the Roy Keane one. Like all he he was he was basically trying to say De Gea should have saved it, but all he just ended up saying was just like how angry he'd be. He didn't give any actual critique to the goalkeeping. So, if we actually think about that situation, because it's quite a, it's quite it's quite a nice one. The reason De Gea lets in that goal is because just before the shot, he jumps into a really wide A-frame stance. Basically, his feet are way over shoulder width apart. And then that means if the ball travels just past the foot and just below the hand, it's very difficult to get your hand down into the ball. So that's what happens. De Gea tries to react, but his foot's in the way of his hand. So he tries to sweep away his foot, get his hand there, and that's all taken far too long to happen. And by that time, the ball's right next to him and squirms past him. But obviously, that's not what gets told. They, they, don't, they don't highlight why it's a mistake or why it's an issue. They just say, keep should do better that's crap, I want to go fight him, or whatever. So I think definitely it's a big it's a big issue because if you had goalkeepers and goalkeeper coaches in the punditry, hopefully you could, we could try and like educate people onto, onto why this, what they're seeing potentially is a mistake and also potentially isn't because a lot of the time they're picking on goalkeepers and actually it was just a really good finish or actually it was a really difficult decision and the, and the goalkeeper made one the, a decision that you can understand but it turned out to be the incorrect one. So I think definitely it's an area where we need some we need some more expertise just because the, I think the longer this goes on, the more we'll be hearing stuff like he went with the wrong hand, he has to leave his line there, um, he's, got, he's got to save that, just various sort of comments that are just regurgitated time and time again and always applied to different situations without sort of understanding the nuance of each individual situation taken for, for itself. Yeah, I think that's entirely true. I mean, it's a peculiar blind spot within the media, the lack of goalkeeping, sort of close quarters analysis. Um, in every other position, defensively, I think Gary Neville talks about Carl Walker's back post switching off all the time. You know, it's something that is 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 focused on um, at a microscopic level in defensive positioning, uh, attacking runs and intelligence, but goalkeeping... Um, myths just tend to kind of expand and perpetuate continually because there's that misinformation or indeed any lack of real close attention to the technique and decision-making process. Yeah. That in mind, what what are the kind of myths about goalkeeping that frustrate you the most? I think um, the, the shouldn't concede at the near post, uh, the poppadom risks or chocolate yeah. risks are probably two that, that come, to, come to my mind. Um, I, I, what, what things frustrate you or do you think are generally uh, misquoted or misunderstood by football fans at large yeah 
So I'd say the sort of, <laughs> the main ones, there's quite a few. I'll sort of name a few and then maybe go into detail on a few of them. But yeah, so like you said, like weak wrists or anything to do with wrist strength and, and things like that. And, and the reason for that one is like wrist strength actually really isn't a thing. The, the reason goalkeepers save shots when they get their hands to it or don't save shots when they get their hands to it is to do with their body weight distribution. So, for example, a lot of the stuff I look at is to do with the goalkeeper's set position. So, like, how wide are their feet? Is their body leaning forwards? How how high are they off the ground? Are they crouched down or, or too high up? Or are they in a nice sort of in-between phase? And then the, their shoulders. Are their shoulders square to the ball or at a slight angle? And that is why... And also, where, where are their hands positioned? And, and that is why... Um, when people were saying last year about Kepa having weak wrists, no, no, the reason Kepa was conceding those goals is because he does this thing where he basically swings his arms behind his body before he gets set. And he does this. It's just a, it'll be an ingrained muscle memory thing that he's done all the time and no coach has coached him out of it. And the, and so what happens is when the shot's coming at him, if he mistimes this arm swing, his arms are actually behind his body. So once he moves them forwards to get to the ball, often he was saving, like the, the, the contact was made with his hands behind his body, which means his body weight distribution meant that he just ended up parrying it into the side netting because the, the way his, his weight and the force he was trying to impart on the ball was aligned meant that the sort of the vector, the arrow, was going backwards and into the goal. So that was that was why. It was not to do with his wrist strength, it was to do with how he positioned his body weight. If he'd have got his hands out in front of him and then got his hand to the ball, because his body weight would be pushing forwards, he'd have pushed the ball out and away from goal. So that's probably one of my biggest ones, because basically anytime anyone says weak wrists, the answer's normally the goalkeeper got their body position wrong, or very rarely, it's the goalkeeper didn't try and manipulate the ball properly with, with their hand. So like when a goalkeeper's making a save, it's not normally just like flat palm hitting the ball. It's more of a wrist technique to sort of push and, and manipulate the ball away. And, and quite it's quite rare. It's normally the body weight that is actually the issue with a sort of weak wrist um, argument. But um, sometimes it's also the ball manipulation. So that that's one. And then I'd say the next one is the sort of top hand, bottom hand um, sort of, I guess, it's, it, people call it a debate, but really there shouldn't be much debate. So this sort of came to the fore with, with I think, Pickford in the World Cup. I think in the studio there was like uh, Lee Dixon and Gary Neville and Ian Wright having a chat about that goal against Belgium, the Yanazai goal, saying Pickford was wrong to go with his, it was his left hand, so his top hand, and he should have gone with his bottom one. But that's completely incorrect. Um, basically, like biomechanics and physics and various studies have shown that when the ball's in the top corner and you need to dive to get to it, because you can imagine the way the body's diving, actually the hand that is initially furthest away from the ball can make the save more easily. And that's because it doesn't fight gravity. So it goes along with the motion of the body. And if you imagine just having like a pencil as your goalkeeper and like diving them across to the top corner, you can actually see that, oh no, it's the hand that started further away that is now closer to the ball and easier to impart a force on the ball to save it. Whereas if you went with your bottom hand, it would almost have to go vertically upwards. And like if you just try that motion now, that's that to go vertically upwards while your body's horizontal is actually very difficult and it's very hard to impart a force on the ball that way. So obviously you want to go with your that closest hand, that bottom hand, if the shot's under about shoulder height. But if it's over your shoulder's height, that is when the sort of resistance comes in that stops you saving it with your with your bottom hand as easily. So I think that's something that somehow in punditry it's got it's got sort of lost that loads of people think you should always go with your hand that's initially closest to the ball but actually if it's above your shoulder height and it requires a dive like biomechanics and physics it all just dictates that actually you want to be going with that other that 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 top hand and i'd say my sort of final my final qualm and thing is when people say um the ball just hits them so a lot of the time and it's normally with de gea and actually, to be fair, probably it's with Matty Ryan as well, because they're goalkeepers who are really good, at, um, at often anyway, getting out to the ball and making like a, a blocking shape. They basically fill the goal. So when the striker tries to score, if they get close enough to the striker and they make their blocking shape effectively enough, the ball will just hit them. But that is a, that, that is a brilliant save because it's the decision and it's the speed of thought to get from their goal line out in front of the striker to force the striker to just hit them. If they'd have stayed on the line and the striker had done that shot, it would have beaten them because they'd have had no reaction time to save it. So the whole sort of, and it happens a lot with De Gea with his foot saves as well, when people are pinging it from close range and he just sticks out a foot and saves it and people are saying, oh yeah, it's straight at him, it just hit him. But actually half the time a keeper's going to go with his hands then, it's going to creep under his body and you're not going to say anything then. So I think, yeah, the lack of praise often for when goalkeepers force strikers to just hit the ball at them 
um, is is probably my my final of my big three, I guess, um, qualms with like punditry um, analysis, I guess. I think there's a fascinating dialogue between, let's say, a proper proper technique and and the correct positioning that your optimum positioning that you that you'd want in a goalkeeper, and also the outcome being you know whether you make the save or not and I've had some interesting conversations with Liam about uh, particularly kind of the top hand debate and and kind of furthermore to, to your suggestion that it is actually beneficial uh, in terms of not fighting gravity I think that's a really really interesting technical point but sometimes uh, I think Liam's made the very strong point that if a goalkeeper is more comfortable going with any particular hand they're at the, you know their top hand then that's what they should do. If they can make the save, um, whatever's best for them, essentially that that is what you uh, that is what you should kind of encourage as goalkeeping coaches. Liam, you know how how do you think you can reconcile optimal technique uh, procedures and and sort of the way you want your goalkeeper to position to be positioned ideally with the outcome? Like how how do you think that that works? Um, it's it's obviously a very tricky trade-off and I've honestly spent the last 10 minutes sort of just sitting and, and listening a bit in awe. It's been sort of fascinating to hear the, the dialogue between between you two. Um, and I think very much so at elite level will maybe be almost less so a case of how you can maximise your own goalkeeper, but perhaps look at um, pre- preventing the, the strengths of the attackers that you're obviously having to stop. We saw yesterday, um, and I'd love to get John's insight on this because I saw, um, sort of, I know the goal was disallowed from what was a, a very good high line from Brighton, um, you know, twice catching Liverpool offside. Um, but but Matt Ryan came under a, a bit of scrutiny for um, sort, sort of his, his 1v1 technique. That um, I think this is purely down to sort of the, how central the shot was sort of going over his shoulder. Um, from a finishing perspective, it looked like a really sort of unorthodox, almost scuffed finish that he uh, Salad kicked it into the floor um, and sort of looped over. From I'd love to know, John, from a um, from a general sort of um, stance. I know you did a, an outstanding thread, which I did use some of uh, when I was when we were looking at Matt Ryan in a uh, post lockdown thread. Is, is there been been a debate for a while now that um, you know maybe he's not up to scratch? I'm, I'm sure we can get sort of John's insight on this. Um, but there, there was a one v one thread that I will of course link on uh, under this pod. Um, uh, as a tweet which analysed uh, in about 30 games um, last season prior to lockdown, every single 1v1 action um, from every Premier League goalkeeper, which made some fascinating um, outcomes and was, was really, really informative. Um, and, and I really sort of enjoyed reading through it and still do, you know, revert back to a lot of it now, um, you, you know, to sort of try and understand decision-making um, a bit better. So in terms of that 1v1 specifically, John, I'm not sure if you've seen it, um, so I'd like, like to get your insight on it. And, and Matt Ryan, I know he was someone who you spoke highly of, um, particularly in 1v1, to have a really high success rate. I believe the best in the league up until lockdown last season. Um, what have you made of him from what you've seen of him from this season? We'll, we'll be really interesting to see. Yeah, so cool, right? There's, yeah, there's quite, quite a few things there. So the, the first thing, I didn't see the Salah's disallowed, disallowed goal yesterday, but like if, you, like, we can, if you describe it, I can figure out what the situation is there. But... Um, the yeah with regarding the 1v1s you, you're quite correct in fact Matty Ryan was the the highest performing goalkeeper during 1v1s over the whole of the season like I've updated my the thread basically nothing changes with the last eight games included all the conclusions stay the the same when all that data's uh, added in but yeah so Matty Ryan saved 70% of all the 1v1s he faced last year so he he faced 40 so Brighton were basically on average conceding like one 1v1 a game which is about normal for yeah mid-table mid-lower bottom table team and, and, and Matty Ryan saved 28 of them. And the interesting thing was, according to my model, where basically I took all of these, I think I've got over 800 1v1 situations in my in my model now, and I and I look at what the goalkeeper what the goalkeepers do. So there's roughly five strategies a goalkeeper can employ in a 1v1. They can they can wait on their line and just try and react, pretend it's a normal shot. Um, they can like run forwards about five or ten yards and then try and react. So like they put a little bit of pressure on the striker, but they still try and react. And then there's three other ones that sort of involve running at the striker and then making a premeditated barrier. So there's the sort of three main barriers people use. It's, it's the one Matty Ryan and David De Gea often use, which is the sort of long barrier cricket style one, where it's called, it's called the block in goalkeeping, but where you put like one knee on the ground and have your other foot active and you make sort of like, a, effectively you make your body a square that the ball cannot go through. Um, then there's the spread technique, which Kasper Schmeichel, Joe Hart, Neuer, use which is you basically do the splits with your legs and put both your arms out wide and then finally there's sort of the the more traditional what you'd see old school goalkeepers doing the sort of like diving at feet or the smother so you would put both your feet to one side and sort of 
lay down in a dive position and try and put smother your body sort of over the ball and try and make it hit your chest or your arms or, or something like that. So I logged, yeah, all the different 1v1 situations, the build-up, um, their, their final location, where the shot happened from and what the goalkeeper tried to do. And using that, you can sort of build up like an optimum strategy. So like which was there certain locations and certain types of 1v1 that a certain strategy would do best at. And basically I found from, from the data so far, and I'll keep collecting data um, to see if this changes, but the sort of the technique Matarain and De Gea use is really good in the sort of out wide 1v1s that are, that are close range, but the, the angle's quite narrow. And that's because doing this block technique basically fills the whole goal. And the easiest finish for the striker would be the little chip over you or the megs. But the but that long barrier technique, the block technique sort of stops those two happening because the, the chips, if you get close enough to the ball, would, should just hit your chest and you can't get megged. Um, and there's basically no room either side of you if you've got close to the striker. So that works really well in those sort of close range but out wide 1v1s. When they're close range but central, the block, the, the sort of long barrier isn't that good. And that's because there's two huge gaps to either side of you that the strike can just roll it in. Because you're only blocking the sort of your, your body area. So that's where this sort of spread Manuel Neuer style technique comes in, where you sort of throw yourself like a like a basically like a star shape, um, like a cross shape, and make yourself as big as possible effectively. This is quite weak to getting nutmegged because obviously you're doing the splits basically, you're making your legs as wide as possible, which is why it's not as effective as the block in the wide regions. Um, but it is very effective in the in the central regions. And then finally, the other sort of optimal technique I found was basically that, that engage and react, that rush out five or 10 yards and then try and react to the ball is actually really weak. What you want to do is if you're not running at the ball and performing one of these premeditated barriers, what you want to do is probably stay on your line and just react like it's a normal shot. And this does make a lot of sense. And in fact, I saw in the Athletic article this morning, Gary Lineker was talking about how he'd always struggle with 1v1s in and around the edge of the box if the goalkeeper just stayed on the line. Because it forces a striker to blast it. And a lot of strikers, like how easy is it to blast it in from the edge of the box versus let's say the keeper runs five or 10 yards off their line and then you could just curl it in the corner because power is no longer an issue because the goalkeeper's got no reaction time. And famous sort of historic 1v1s that have gone in like this, I always think of the, the Kepper against Martinelli one, where um, the Arsenal players run like the length of the pitch, effectively. And But because Kepper's stood, I think, in between the penalty spot and the edge of the 18-yard box, Martinelli can just roll it in from like 22 yards, like just side foot pass. And that's just given him an easy goal. If Kepper just stays on his line there, it's like there's no way Martinelli's going to beat him because he's going to have to blast it. He's just run, whatever, 50 yards with Kante on his back like he's not going to be able to do that so yeah that, that's basically what i what, what i found from my research and matty ryan came out as so as so good at this and made the optimum decision 68 percent of the time and then managed to save 70 percent of the 1v1s because he's really good at that waiting on his line and then when he has to come he normally chooses the correct technique he normally uses out wide this sort of blocking long barrier technique and then in the middle he'll try and use a sort of a spread a sort of cross um technique um and yeah, basically, from what I've seen, if people people potentially have f forget a lot of his good saves, um, if if they if they aren't rating Matty Ryan as, as really good one on one, it's probably because yeah they're forgetting his big saves against Chelsea and Liverpool and Dominic Calvert Lewin and various other massive one v one saves he made last year, and they're sort of remembering the ones he let in because actually quite weirdly of the of the sort of twelve he conceded, a lot of them do just look quite bad, <laughs> and some of them are because he's made the wrong decision. So, for example, the, the one against AU for Crystal Palace and Hernandez for West Ham, he rushes out and tries to do his little long barrier block, but 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 they're, they're too far away. He should have just waited on his line in those ones. He, he's coming out 15, 16 yards away from his goal, where where my model at the moment suggests that about 14 yards of goal, there's, there's no point. You should just treat it like a normal shot because they're rarely going to beat you from, from, from that sort of range. You don't need to commit yourself. Um, so, so, and they don't look great because they sort of, as well as the fact they... Um, he comes out and does the wrong thing. I think both of them sort of hit him on the way in. And that's because when you do this long barrier block, if you're not close enough to the opponent, it one, it's harder to get yourself set in the right place. And two, it can often like hit off your ankle or squirm through you because there's much there's much more of a, of a bigger gap effectively. There's more there's more gaps around. And that, that, that looks bad to the sort of average viewer. If they see the ball hit the goalkeeper and goes in, they're more likely to think, oh, that was a bit of a mistake. Um, and then I guess the, the, the other sort of bad one is... Um, is uh, the, the, there's been a few that again haven't looked great, but actually he's done the right thing. And at another time he could have he could have made the save. So there's there was a McBurney Sheffield United one v one where um, 
Ryan chooses to wait deep, and that's definitely the right thing. But McBurney, to be fair, absolutely hammers it. And I think Ryan slightly got his positioning wrong in this one as well, but he, he made the right decision, but got his positioning a little bit wrong. And McBurney just absolutely hammers it in the near post, um, which wasn't in itself a, a mistake, but it, it was a decent finish by McBurney. But I can imagine someone looking at that being like, why hasn't Ryan rushed off his line? And it was the correct decision not to, but this time it was just a, it was just a good finish. And similarly, there's a, there's a Danny Ings goal where he comes out and tries to use his standard block technique. And I think he just gets his feet a little bit mixed up before he gets set in the block technique and it ends up squirming past him. And again, that could look bad, but actually he's done the right thing. It just hasn't come off this time. And I think that's the sort of, it was the strength of why I wanted to build this model. Because I wanted to more accurately know which goalkeepers are sort of getting away in 1v1s by making the wrong decision. But the strikers just happen to be having poor finishes versus the goalkeepers who are making really good decisions. And over time, with a bigger sample size, will be really good 1v1. So, um, so yeah, that's my sort of my sort of thoughts on on, on Matty Ryan and one v ones and how he's done this season. To be fair, that that was how he did last season. How he's done this season, it's a little bit more of a. I don't think he's. I don't know if he's even faced a one v one yet this this year. Potentially he has. I haven't um, started collecting data for this year yet. But from but from what I've seen, the sort of um, Brighton have been just conceding a lot of penalties and own goals and and, and things like that. Really, he hasn't of the. 13 goals he'd conceded um, before yesterday. Um, there was basically, yeah, three penalties, effectively three own goals. Two of them, I think, weren't classed as own goals, but the deflections were so big they were effectively own goals. And then, um, and, and then of the other, of the other like seven goals, um, I'm pretty sure like th- three of them were headers. And then there was just that James smash from the from the edge of the box. And then really the only bad goal he's let in this year was the was the West Brom one where the player had the shot just like straight down the middle. And for some reason, Ryan had decided he thought the shot was definitely going to his right. So it already dived and the shot down the middle just beats him and doesn't look doesn't look great. But um, yeah, I think, yeah, he's not had much more B1s to face this year. So there's not much to see if he's if he's kept up those those really good levels. Um, but um, but yeah, the so stats bomb have Mike Ryan as at the moment, if you take out the penalties, so he's conceded one and a half goals more than you'd expect an average goalkeeper to concede. And that's basically, I imagine, down to the down to the West Brom goal, really. And then if you take that out, it's a small sample size. He's basically performing as, as average, which is which is a drop off from last year, because last year he saved Brighton about four goals more than more than the average Premier League goalkeeper would have. Um, but it will be it'll be interesting to see if when the sample size increases to see if Ryan is struggling this year or if actually it was just that one bad mistake against West Brom and that sort of scuppered his numbers for the for the time being. Yeah, 70 uh, um, oh, oh, sorry, Charlie. Go on, go on. I'm no. too, too, having too much fun here. That's why you, you go, yeah. you go. Too eager. Yeah, 70% um, from last year is, is a really fantastic number. And I think it suggests that Ryan is certainly capable of, of um, saving us a little bit in one-on-ones. Uh, so if we want to persist playing with this high line, that Liam mentioned earlier uh, that we did so well against Liverpool, catching them offside multiple times. I think he's certainly capable of uh, of pulling that off. I um I can't really resist um making uh, making the Palace comparison because uh, it looks here, John, that Guaita for Palace has only saved thirty six percent of his close range one on ones, uh, which was um kind of yeah. uh, on Friday night, uh, conceding to Callum Wilson. And and you suggest this is because he doesn't make that premeditated barrier that he opts to stay on his line too much, and I think that um, decision making process of whether you're too passive or too rash, whether you come off your line or whether you stay, that you know, it's obviously a really really tricky thing. I mean, Palace plays such a deep block anyway. Perhaps it's kind of ingrained within his, uh, you know, his his kind of what he's used to. To maybe he's staying on his line too much. Maybe. He's uh he's or they are staying um they're playing deep because he excels staying on his line and saving shots from distance. You know I think that Ryan realistically hasn't let's say had the best start to the season. Um, there's been a couple. I think he's been very unfortunate in a lot of instances. Um, I think the West Brom one is as you say is probably the worst this year. Um. I think classically he was then dropped for for the Tottenham game following that. So perhaps the goalkeeping coaches, the staff, I'm not sure where that came from. Came straight back in, of course, for the game afterwards. But 
you know, maybe they weren't happy with uh, his kind of his confidence levels. That's actually an interesting point, I suppose. Confidence in goalkeepers is sort of a not really quantifiable uh, data metric. How do you feel goalkeepers who are having a crisis of confidence, let's say Kepper at the moment, uh, Ramsdale, I think, has made a few poor errors and is, is not really looking his best self. How, as a goalkeeping coach or analyst, do you deal with confidence issues in goalkeepers? Do you you know, immediately go to tweak techniques or, or really go to break things down specifically and, and look to improve? Or, you know, is it about motivation? Is it about kind of man management more so? Yeah, so I think if it's a if it's a confidence thing, I think what you want to do, the first thing you normally you wouldn't want to be trying to change anything they're doing, because normally if they've got a confidence issue, they're going to be making more mistakes because they're going to be second guessing all their decisions. I think that's that's the main thing. When confidence goes, it's not normally the actual like the technique and the execution and the actions that are the, that are the main thing that go. It's the decision making. It's that a cross is coming into the box. You're low on confidence and you're like, should I come? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And you've already overthought it by far too long. And you're potentially going to make a mistake now because you're not going to be aggressively attacking the ball properly or you're going to have shuffled into no man's land and then realised you're not coming for it, etc. And similarly with through balls and various different techniques, it's all about decision making. And if you're not 100% confident in the decision you're making and you don't believe that, yeah, no, I am a top goalkeeper, I, this is this is what I think is going to happen in this situation, therefore I'm making this decision. If there's any sort of delay in that process, that's going to be the main that's going to be sort of the main downfall of why the, the errors keep spiralling, I, I imagine. So for me personally, what, what I'd want to do if, if, if I had a goalkeeper that was that was having a, cri- a crisis with their, with their confidence, I'd say, um, it'd be all about just training ground, just getting them making loads of saves, getting them making loads of decisions and making them feel comfortable. So having loads of drills and loads of work on the training ground that makes them feel comfortable, potentially take them out of the firing line because... Sometimes a lot of goalkeepers you see when they're interviewed, they much prefer training to matches because in training, you can sort of play with a free spirit. If you if you make a howler, if something goes wrong, you're just messing about in training, but you still get that buzz of making the worldy saves. Whereas in a game, everything is, one, everything is 100% scrutinised. Everything has to be as correct as it possibly can be. And you have to sort of get the best outcomes you possibly can. Whereas And, and so like every mistake and every little issue can can sort of linger with the goalkeeper a little bit longer so i think yeah my main thing would be just get the repetitions in and get the confidence back and then potentially you can go on to be like right so the reason we were conceding these goals and you got under the pressure in the first place was due to these technical things but i think you need to get the confidence back before you start tweaking those things because you need the keepers to be confident in their own in their own decision making and then yeah finally it would be take taking them out of the firing line i don't think it's a bad thing as long as you can try and address it in, in the correct way and it doesn't make it seem like dropped because they're not good enough. It's got to be a no. It, a little bit like the Pickford one, actually. I think um, I think Ancelotti did very well with the sort of no. We're, get, we're taking him out of the firing line. He's played for whatever four consecutive seasons worth of games without being rested for Everton. We'll take him out. We'll let Robert, we'll, we'll let Robert, Rob, Robin Olsen have, a, have a, a game and then we're bringing him back in regardless of how well um, Olsen plays because all we're doing is taking him out of the firing line. We're not dropping him because we don't believe he's a good goalkeeper. I think, yeah, that was the sort of the right way to approach it for me. I mean, yeah, Matt Ryan was te- was taken out of the uh, the firing line as 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 you say. Um, in fa- uh, Robert Sanchez favoured for the game against Spurs, making his uh, debut. Um, the kind of extent of my interactions with goalkeeper, I'm afraid, is limited to selling Robert Sanchez a Christmas tree in test about two weeks ago so um, that's all I can really bring uh, to, to in, in that regard Robert Sanchez is obviously a lot taller than Matt Ryan and we do have a question here about Matt Ryan being one of the smaller goalkeepers in the league and about how height can affect a keeper's ability it's not um, it's it's something that plays on the mind a lot of fans I think I think height is something that instinctively fans want in their goalkeeper uh, they associate top world-class goalkeepers with being extremely tall. I think there's a perception that it helps um, them to deal with crosses, although I think Ryan's high claims numbers are actually quite impressive over the over the time that he's been here. Um, but there is a definite perception within, within fans generally that height equals success, or at least height is very, very important for a goalkeeper. I think such that 
Um, I mean, FIFA 21 just released a patch notes about their their kind of gameplay. And one of the things that was majorly adjusted was height for goalkeepers, that it would not be the dominant factor in goalkeeping saves because it was such that, you know, pl- players were so keen to have goalkeepers that were in 6-6. People would use, you know, 81 rated goalkeepers uh, with, with average stats who were 6 foot 6 over um, you know, higher eighty eighty-seven goalkeepers who are who are only say six foot one. What are your thoughts on height with relation to goalkeepers? If you'll forgive the the kind of um, yep. basic FIFA analogy, but yeah, yeah. So I think basically, so I don't yet think we're at a situation where we can sort. Of, this is an optimizing problem. So for for example, like the small goalkeepers that, that have made it to the Premier League level and the top level will just be quicker and have be more powerful in their jumping and just be better at getting across the goal. That's the reason they've made it. Because like you say, small goalkeepers are going to be prejudiced against throughout the whole academy system. So the ones we see and the ones that actually make it are going to be potentially, like they will be, for example, like if we're comparing Fraser Forster to Matty Ryan, right? Matty Ryan's a better goalkeeper than Fraser Forster. Fraser Forster's six foot seven, right? But that's because the, the athlete that Matty Ryan has to be to get to the Premier League level versus the athlete Fraser Forster has to be to get to the Premier League is completely different. Like if if if, if you could combine the two and you could give um, Matty Ryan's speed and explosiveness and fast footwork to Fraser Forster, then suddenly obviously you've got a hell of a goalkeeper. But that's not how it works at the moment because you can't. You can't just combine the things. It's not an it's not an optimized problem because you can't get the physical capacity out of all your players. So you couldn't get yeah a six foot seven goalkeeper who's got ridiculously quick feet, who's ridiculously explosive, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, just because of the way of the way all the sort of sports science is is going at the moment. We're not at the level where we can <clears throat> where we can maximize those those things. So I think there's no issue with having like a, a smaller goalkeeper because by necessity they've got to the level they are um obviously in the future maybe if if things advance in such a way that you can maximize the sort of footwork and explosive power and reactions of all your different goalkeepers i'd imagine what would end up happening is you end up with like six three six four as being a sort of optimum height because then you've got the the ability to get down and the ability to move your feet like a small goalkeeper but you've also got the height for, like you say, for, for collecting crosses, for just getting across the goal, for just make making making more saves because you've generally got a bigger a bigger wingspan. But we're definitely not at that situation yet. So I don't think really height is a big factor in in deciding who's a who's a better goalkeeper really. Until we get to the stage where everyone can maximise their output in, in in all the various categories, there's always going to be smaller goalkeepers who are just faster, more explosive. And, and and better at getting around the goal therefore they can match their sort of their sort of taller taller counterparts one thing i would say about um <clears throat> like this the only way it really affects so like you said i think ryan does have quite impressive claim numbers but they're normally from open play because he's he has to be very smart about the way he claims if you if you watch him it'll be all about how he moves and make sure he gets in front of the striker or make sure he reads the flight of the ball better than the striker to, to get to the ball first. Whereas, obviously, if you're a taller goalkeeper, you don't have to worry about that because you know when you're walking, like when Courtois basically just like just walks out and just catches it because he barely even needs to jump to get above the, the striker's jump and head. Um, so it's because he has to be a little bit smarter. So I think it's just one of those things where until we're at a situation where all the goalkeepers... Can, can get to their sort of physical limit and their sort of mental limit in how they can make decisions and their, their smartness of, of getting around the goal, we're not going to be in a situation where I think generally you can say having a taller goalkeeper is better. And, and one thing about the, the although his open play numbers are good, from, from corners, for example, where, where you're sort of penned in, and this is where height will become a factor. So Ryan was 18th in the Premier League for how he how he dealt with corners last year. So there was Kepper and Tom Heaton who were who were worse because um, yeah he basically out of the 204 corners Brighton conceded he yeah he only attempted to come for nine caught two punched five and and, and missed the ball on, on two occasions which which yeah uh, um, put him as 18th in the Premier League. So that's one thing that um, it's always going to be hard with, with with height because that's something where you can't really be as smart because everyone's just in the box. You're penned in. It is more of just a physical 
a physical battle. But if you have big centre backs that can that can help you out, I don't know if conceding goals from corners was even a big problem for for Brighton last year. But it's just something that I'd say one of probably the only areas where height get becomes important because it becomes a raw battle. But if you have the centre backs to deal with that, I don't think it's much of a much of a big issue. If, if it's okay for me to jump in here, Charlie, which, which I hope it is, um, some great insight there, John. Uh, and I think that, as you, as you mentioned and sort of alluded to, uh, without necessarily knowing myself, is that we've got a massive, particularly this season, a massive issue in sort of defending set pieces. Um, I think perhaps part of the issue is that um, with VAR now, that they, um, without getting Charlie onto a rant about it, that they obviously allow attacks to occur and um, phase out and then they check it. So, um, for instance, yesterday, uh, Mane headed home from a set piece, um, which, yep. you know, when you see your team concede a goal, um, it instantaneously looks bad and you go, oh, OK, no one's picked him up. You know, Ryan stayed on his line, which in hindsight was probably a good decision as far as I'm aware from a keeping perspective because he's got no chance of getting anywhere near the ball. Um, yep. And when they looked at it through VAR, they saw, you know, he, he's well offside. So it's a really good highlight. And uh, I think perhaps that people see, uh, first and foremost, OK, if we've got an issue in sort of defending set pieces, that, you know, how can our sort of keeper stop this? Because... And, you know, he's obviously got the, on paper, the conception advantage of one, he can use his hands and two, you know, he, he can come out and actually has then got an, an added reach um, in particular. Um, I just want to sort of add some more numbers really to sort of what you um, were saying, which is some really interesting insight. And um, then I've got a couple of questions to sort of tangent off that with. Um, but a big thing I think people need to appreciate, in particular with Matt Ryan is, um, and we've seen this with players like Lewis Dunk as well, is the the whole style transformation they've gone under Graham Potter. Matty Ryan is perhaps the most, um, you know, sort of the most exemplary of this. Um, in terms of his cross-stop percentage, um, that, that went up 2% last season compared to what he was at under Hewton. It was about 5.6, 5.8% under Hewton. Um, you know, and he faced more crosses in both seasons under Hewton than he did um, under Potter. Uh, and he came 7.6% under, under Potter. So, you know, when you've got someone like Lewis Dunk and Shane Duffy in the box, um, there's perhaps less of a requirement for you to have such exceptional cross claim numbers. If you have got centre backs that you can leave there, and I believe they were, you know, two of the top five that sort of headed clearances and stuff. So, you, you know, when we talk about, you know, required versus desired for a goalkeeper, how much you need someone like Matt Ryan when you've got players who are so aerially proficient. Um, and, and a big part on top of this as well, and um, this came to my mind because of yesterday seeing him um, come flying out to zero at one point to, to clear a ball, it's sort of his rate of being a sweeper keeper. Unfortunately, these are both numbers that stats one provide as well. Um, under Hewton, the, the average, it was about one in four games he was coming out to sort of deal with an action outside the box. Um, and even then, his actions were coming out to be 12, 13 yards outside the box. This season, he's averaging um, over one every sort of two games. And it was one in two games last season. Uh, and those numbers were up to 14, 15 yards outside the box. So, you know, he's really coming out and being more, um, you know, almost like more of a playmaker. There'll be times where he'll be, you know, sitting high between sort of the centre-backs. Um, and I think he deserves real credit for that. Um, and, you know, I had a really good move yesterday. Um, and we often talk about the keepers, you know, often feel perhaps a bit disconnected as part of the team, um, obviously being so far away from the play. Uh, so definitely for a keeper to have the ability to, you know, act, act as a sweeper, be able to come and clear the ball, uh, definitely a viable tool. And in particular, when, you know, as, as me and Charlie have spoken about, um, the fact that Brighton play such a high line nowadays, you know, really increases the requirement for either your high line needs to be perfect or if it's not, you know, you need someone like Matt Ryan. Um, and you spoke about his idiosyncrasies a uh, bit as well, John, that I really sort of liked. And we, we spoke about David De Gea sort of the start, at the start of the pod um, as someone who perhaps likes to use their feet a bit more. Um, from my perspective, it really feels like the, the idiosyncrasies of keepers and their sort of unique elements, the ways that they like to do things are quite underappreciated, especially in relation to sort of most outfielders where um, players might get in certain situations, um, you, you know, sort of the ones that spring to mind. If, if you get Iron Robin um, on, on the right wing, no one's screaming at him to sort of attack the byline. Um, you know, but, but you don't sort of see goalkeeper pundits saying, you know, OK, well, this is a player's preferred style or keeper's preferred style of doing something. Um, you know, that they don't seem to sort of be, be acknowledging that. And, and one of the big things that you were sort of speaking about power was, uh, having seen a few of sort of the insight videos of some of the Brighton players, they often say that Ryan spends a lot of his time in the gym. So it's clear that, you know, he's really focused on, and from a physique perspective, he, you know, he's incredibly well built. Um, you know, so that's clearly something that he works really, really hard on doing. Um, so I really want to sort of get your insight on, you know, whether perhaps more of a focus needs to be put on rather than trying to necessarily make an effective keeper is how can we make this keeper their most effective version? Uh, and, and on top of that, one sort of final final comment from me, um, just because of the number of them that we've had this season, it feels right to touch on them, uh, is penalties. What we, we saw yesterday one of the things from uh, Nilma Pai, who, um, you know, isn't a bad penalty taker, hasn't missed many in his career, obviously is in pretty terrible penalty taking form for Brighton. Um, but I think... For me, he was looking too much at Allison as he took uh, took the penalty in the run up. But there were two or three times that he looked 
Uh, and, and from a sort of reverse perspective, uh, I know one of the big things with, with keepers is obviously, you know, do you react and try to predict? Edison did it, tried to do it against Salah uh, when, when they faced Liverpool um, and obviously conceded. Um, I think from an attacking perspective, what we try and get across is that you don't necessarily need to wrong fit the keeper, um, which I feel like Noah Parr was trying to do too much and perhaps didn't, you know, hit the best penalty because of that. But that's one thing where maybe Matt Ryan can improve. And, you know, we saw in the start of Brighton career that he did save a couple of penalties in his first season. But he's conceded, and I just had a quick check. I think I've got this number right. All of his last 15 have been conceded. Um, and as far as I'm aware, I can't recall of too many. I'm sure Charlie will correct me if I'm wrong. I think for most of them, he's been wrong-footed as well, which obviously then suggests a bigger problem of, is this an error in terms of um, are players particularly good at putting him the wrong way? Is he, is he struggling to pick up cues on their body in terms of their hip shape, their run-up angle? Um, of course, we saw yesterday that, you know, do you follow a player's trend? Pascal Gross had typically gone across the keeper in every Premier League penalty he took. He lined up the same way yesterday, but ended up going down the middle and wrong-footed Allison. So, so the, the two questions for you there, John, are, and I know that these aren't e- easy to answer, particularly in sort of a short period of time, are um, if, if you were hypothetically de- developing Matty Ryan now, would you try and develop him in terms of what might be technically proficient or would you try and make sort of the best Matty Ryan possible? Uh, and on top of that, sort of what strategies would, would you look at doing um, in, in terms of, especially given the frequency at which they're being given now, um, sort of dealing with penalties maybe a little bit better than, than before? Yeah, so I think for, for, for the first part, about once a goalkeeper's basically over the age of about 20, you're going to struggle. Other than tweaking decision-making, you're going to really struggle to tweak any sort of technical things. Other than basically what you can improve is you can improve, improve physicality through gym work, as you mentioned, and you, you can improve decision-making through just tactical discussions and just repetition. But actually technique's very difficult to change once they've become sort of sort of established and 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 used to what the the way they're moving their body and what they're doing with their body. So yeah, I think for Matty Ryan, you, you're exactly right. I, I think the things he you just want to keep making sure he's making the correct decisions, sweeping up, making the correct decisions during one v ones, and I think that's basically it, really. Um, and then just keep his keep his sort of athleticism and physicality there to make sure he can get around goal. Because I think one thing when when Ryan's going to age, the sort of main issue is. The, the the sort of speed of of his explosiveness and the speed of his footwork is going to deteriorate just naturally but that is currently something that's keeping him some sort of being at premier league level due to his obviously he's whatever he's six foot six foot one whatever he is and we saw with Ika Casillas once his sort of footwork and explosiveness started to go he suddenly dropped off he was basically one of the best goalkeepers in the world between what like 2006 seven all the way to like 2011 he was basically the the top keeper in the world and then suddenly in about 2013-14 when he started to to age he fell off a cliff and he became a liability for Real Madrid and then eventually dropped out of the Spain team got sold to Porto etc and he, he had like a, a decent like mid like mid table sort of level um mid table champions league sort of level goalkeeper but he was nowhere near what he used to be so I think that's one thing Ryan needs to, and, and all sort of keepers who rely on their explosiveness and their and their speed, need to make sure they try and elongate as like elongate their career as long as possible by making sure they they sort of maximise how long they can stay at that at that sort of physical physical level. So that that would be the sort of main thing I'd say in terms of keeping Ryan at a, at a level and trying to hone him and make him as, as as good as possible. It would it would all be to do with that sort of physicality and making sure he doesn't lose in as he as he ages and, and becomes more experienced he doesn't lose those those things and then i'd say yeah in terms of the in terms of the penalties so yeah there's a so if if, if the numbers you said yeah were correct that he, he, he saved effectively two out of 17 because because penalties are scored so often um i don't think that on on paper is 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 too bad of a too bad of a rate. I don't really think the problem with penalties is you face very few really, and because eighty two percent of them that are on target go in, like the the, the the sort of the way the statistics makes it it all sort of very difficult to see the, the wood from the trees really. So saving two out of seventeen is basically slightly underperforming. You'd sort of expect an average goalkeeper if you save face seventeen penalties to save three, but realistically with such a small sample size, there's 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 basically like I think if I just do the numbers quickly there's basically like a forty percent chance an average goalkeeper would save two or less from from those penalties like a, a goalkeeper that was average at penalty saving so I don't think just from that sample size of conceding fifteen in a row effectively I don't think that's enough to say that he's not like he's not good at, at saving penalties um, 
and then yeah i guess the next thing is the actual strategies so for me personally i think if yeah if you're looking from a taker's point of view if you're good at watching the goalkeeper you can do it so like when hazard and fernandez and Jorginho, when they they've actually incorporated that little hop into their run-up because what they want to do is they want to be able to look at the goalkeeper and see what he's doing right until the last second and then the landing is when they look back at the ball that's the reason they've incorporated that into the into the run-up it's not i think a lot of people think it's to do with like dummying the keeper but it's not really it's more to do with the fact they get to look at the keeper and look at the ball in a sort of regimented way because hazard sort of first brought this in where he would walk up and just look at the keeper the whole time and then basically hit the ball without actually looking at it which was obviously like if you can do that and you can get the correct power you're always going to be a great penalty taker because seemingly every time the goalkeeper moves slightly early um you should be able to go the other side and then if the goalkeeper doesn't move if you back yourself to without looking at the ball hit it in the corner so they can't react and get there then there you go you're gonna you're gonna score a lot of penalties if you can if you can do that um but in terms of a goalkeeper, so I think, yeah, stra- strategies, it's one of those, like, if if you back yourself, like I think Timo Werner does, if you just run up and hit it as hard as you can and back that you're going to get it in the corner every time, then that's a perfect strategy because if you think no matter how early a goalkeeper goes, he's not getting there, then then that's going to work for some people. But if you back yourself to watch the strike, watch the goalkeeper the whole time and then put it the other side, wherever he doesn't go, then that's also, it's very much going to depend on the on, on the on the player, I think. And for a goalkeeper, for me personally, the sort of strategies I like to employ is, or I tell people to employ is, so the, the main thing is left-footed takers, if they're going to hit it hard, basically, are, are, are going to prefer to go to the keeper's left. And right-footed takers, if they're going to hit it hard, are going to go to the keeper's right. If they're going to be sort of more nuanced and maybe like dink it or side-foot it or something like that, obviously that's not always the case. Um but it's like a rule of thumb. If they're going to smash it, generally that's what happens. So I always say if, you, if you're struggling to read the, the striker, that's your sort of default position. And I'd also say when you're, when you're diving, you have to make sure, it's a little bit of a technical golfer thing, but you have to make sure you're doing a power step dive, not a negative step dive. So the reason De Gea's, um, uh, again, it's not, De Gea hasn't conceded enough penalties yet, I don't think, to make it statistically significant that he's not good at saving penalties. But... He basically employs a technique. He sort of does a negative step dive. And Pickford does this sometimes as well, where rather than stick their foot out and then push off that foot, they end up just sweeping their legs from underneath them. And on a penalty, that means you don't actually get to the corner because the length of the goalkeeper's body isn't the the, the length between the centre the center of the goal and the post. So that means any penalty in the corner, you're always going to concede. Whereas if you take a power step, then that means you will get to the corner. Potentially, you might get there late and the penalty will beat you, but at least there is a chance of you getting to a penalty in the corner. And another reason I like the power step is during the power step, if they've actually put it down the middle, it gives you time to react. Whereas if you do a negative step dive and they put it down the middle, your legs will be in the air. They won't be on the ground. Like You you won't be planted doing it. So what that means is there'll be no time to react to the sort of central penalty and stick a leg out or whatever and, and, and get something on it. So for... For me personally, for like a goalkeeper strategy, it would be always make sure you do a power step. And um, and yeah, obviously looking at historic placement is good. But realistically, if if you can get a feeling for whether they're going to smash it or try and side foot it, and you know what footed they are, that should give you a rough inkling of, of which direction to go. Obviously, they can change it up. Like you're not going to go the right way for every single penalty doing this. But like probabilistically, it's going to give you the best chance if you if you're struggling to read them. If you just think, right, are they side-footing it or are they smashing it? And are they right foot or left foot? That will give you a decent chance of, of, of going the right way, really. Yeah, I think it's a very... Sorry, Liam. No, I, I was just going to say thank you very much for that insight because that was absolutely fascinating. Um, well, one point of that to sort of add a sort of bright example to that um, sort of a list of, of players who can use sort of feints and um, intricacies in their run-up as, as we saw Tomer Hemmond in the Championship on numerous occasions. Um, you know, they had a real good sort of uh, would line up sort of in a straight straight line run up, but hop to the side and he'd come in with a bit of speed and then slow down and, and was very good at sort of wrong footing keepers. Uh, I mean, I think he sat David Button down at Fulham away with um, sort of trying to, you know, um, you, you know, almost the, the mind game element of it. And then we've also seen the likes of uh, Glenn Murray, who's a bit more maybe old school conventional, who would sort of run up and sort of look for those corners. Um, so I, I think we've had a sort of a real balance. Um, and, and it's quite fascinating, John, to sort of see those numbers and see that 
you know, okay, maybe Ryan actually is quite a good, um, or not good, sorry, but, you know, about average penalty stopper. I think the the perception and maybe the, the psychological element of it for Brighton fans is that obviously if you've saved, uh, I think it was two of his first three, um, to then go and concede 15 in a row, perhaps the issue is if he'd, you know, conceded seven. Um, yeah. Example, it might look a bit better for his sake, but, you know, perhaps the issue is they see that, oh, if you save two of the three, you know, you can clearly do it. And then maybe they think that, there's something wrong, but of course, and it goes back to the you know the performance sustainability. And as you say, you face penalties so um, infrequently that perhaps it's a quite a harsh sample to put together. Um, it's sort of so spaced out. Um, so uh, you know, I've not got too many complaints about Ryan's penalty taking or penalty saving ability. Sorry, um, I, I think he's gen- on the whole okay. I think perhaps one of the bigger issues, as me and Charlie have spoken about on the pod before, so I won't go into too much detail, is is of course just stopping conceding them. Um, yeah. you know, again, again, yesterday managed to not concede one again, which was great for us. Uh, and again, got a positive result. So, um, you know, unfortunately didn't put our first one away. But from an XG perspective, as, as you say, they, they come at such a high rate of being scored that in the Premier League this season, conceding a penalty is pretty much as bad as conceding a goal because, you know, you're, they basically guarantee it. Um, so from a defending perspective, it seems really, really, uh, really silly that uh, I think it was uh, Nico Williams yesterday who fouled Aaron Connolly, who's someone who's in, you know, in the corner of the box that you'd say, you know, if you look at this from a shot probability perspective, if he pulls in a cutback there, even a good shot is going to come in at maybe 0.5, 0.6 XG if he's inside the six-yard box. So probabilistically, you know, the last thing you want to do is foul a player, maybe let them try and have a tap in. Um, as we saw yesterday, I can't remember who missed one. Uh, I think it was Haaland missed one uh, in the Bundesliga yeah. uh, over the weekend. You know, <laughs> they're more likely to miss a tap in inside the six yard box than they are a penalty, which might sound really strange, but uh, you know, that's that's what the numbers are telling us. So, so thank you for that insight, John, and I'll I'll hand you over to Charlie. Yeah, that's. I think penalties has been something that's maybe been uh, embellished a little bit more this season, just because of the amount that we've conceded. Um, and as you said, Liam, um, the fact that Ryan's conceded so many in a row, I think, kind of doesn't help. Um, whilst maybe not necessarily that much worse than a than an average kind of penalty saving goalkeeper, I think, um, you know, once he'd saved, you know, his two or three in like close proximity, then su- suddenly he's a he's a fantastic penalty saving goalkeeper. And then, you know, when they start to kind of rack up in a row, you know, he becomes worse and worse, and then eventually he's useless. I think, I mean, the Jorginho one is the only one that I personally have any problem with this year in terms of his penalty saving. I mean, it's a very specific technique, uh, as as John mentioned, and, and Jorginho is very proficient at it, although the only times that it has been saved, there's been a very specific technique of just waiting and staying and then trying to react to it at the last, last moment after the ball's been kicked. Uh, those are the only times that those penalties have been saved. I think Ryan's movement and going early was just, was not adept for that particular penalty technique with let's say the Zaha one away at Palace there's no blame whatsoever because 100% of the time um, that Zaha had taken penalties up until that point he'd gone to the keeper's right and then this time he goes to the keeper's left and if if Ryan goes left then and Zaha goes where he normally goes you know we could pull up the stats saying well he's gone he's gone to the goalkeeper's right in his last seven penalties why on earth would you not just go there that's his side Um, so you know, goalkeepers do have a very uh, rough deal when it comes to these things. As you, as you say, stop conceding penalties has got to be the uh, the main thing. Probably one um, one of the last questions uh, relating to the penalty uh, debate. Uh, it's something that I'm really not keen on, um, and I'm sure goalkeepers are, are, are certainly not keen on it. I think um, Johnson for uh, West Brom was particularly vocal about it recently, having uh, been uh, affected by it at his old club, Manchester United. Um, the kind of more forensic look at goalkeepers staying on their line for penalties or not having, uh, or at least having one part of their body level with the line. Simply, John, how do you feel about, do you think this is too harsh? My my perspective is that I can't see how this is, considering the proportion of penalties that are already scored, I can't see how this is fair if you're going to allow uh, penalty takers to stutter, to to faint, and or at least off the goalkeeper in in those kind of ways, I think there has to be some kind of allowance. What's your What's your views on this on this issue? Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a it's a great point. It's really really interesting situation. So yeah, go, firstly with the the little bit you discussed before with the so yeah, the reason Jorginho's technique is a little bit worse and why just staying helped is because he'll always side foot it. 
so he's never going to get any power. I think that's the reason Fernandez is actually so good at them, is because he can do the little jump and the stutter and then smash it with his laces. So, like, if you do stay, you can get caught out because he's not always just going to do, like, a side foot roller to either side. Um, and then, yes, with this stutter being added in now and then them penalising uh, goalkeepers for coming off their line, it's all a little bit of a... Yeah, it all seems a little bit harsh. And I say, I don't know, my opinion on this is a little bit maybe, con- I don't know, maybe a little bit controversial. I'm not I'm not too sure. But so I'm not one for goalkeepers coming off the lines at penalties, like 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 a lot, um, because really it actually makes it harder to, you're basically relying on the penalty then hitting you rather than you reacting to it because you don't have much reaction time for a penalty anyway. So if you're jumping, like, so there's some like extreme examples we've seen in the past where goalkeepers are like two or three yards, so almost halfway up the six yard box when the penalty's taken. And, and those sort of things we do really want to cut out because, well, actually, from a goalkeeper's point of view, that's actually making it harder for them. But I can see how that isn't what the, the penalty situation's about. It's not about a goal. It's not like a 1v1. It's not about a goalkeeper like, rushing out and trying to get trying to get close to the ball. Um, but I do think it is incredibly harsh to be penalising them when it's like a foot or like a centre. Like, when, because when you dive, you're going to have to move forward somewhat. The, the the Johnson one, to be fair, he does take a jump forwards before his dive. So I can see what, t- to me, obviously most goalkeepers might think it's harsh, but to me, I don't think you should be jumping forwards off your line before the shot's taken. Because actually, I think it's only going to make your reaction time less. And if you're using a power step dive, like I said before, it won't affect you getting across the goal. Obviously, if you're using a negative step dive and you jump forwards, your negative step dive will cover more of the goal. So it's an advantage then. But if you're using the proper technique and doing a power step dive, I don't think I think it's actually beneficial not to jump off your line like that. But I can see how just doing a normal dive would get penalised with the new rule. So for me, maybe it's a slightly controversial opinion. I'm not actually bothered about them penalising goalkeepers jumping off their line because I actually think it's bad goalkeeping technique and you'll save less penalties doing that. But the sort of micro adjustment of a goalkeeper has to go forwards when they dive, like that—that's just the way it works. If they went completely sideways, they'd parry it into the side netting. Um, so I'm, I'm all for. I'm not exactly sure how you would change the rule. Maybe it'd have to be something like, yeah, maybe you'd have to add in a little bit like the VAR does the lines. Maybe you just have like a line that's like, I don't know, half a yard off the line that they, that they put on with the VAR. And if the goalkeeper's above that, yes, penalise them. If they're off the line, but it's only like by a small amount, like I said 0.5 yards, but you could make it up to be whatever you want, then don't penalise them. So you sort of have that margin for error. I think that would be completely fair. But I do think, and it's also bad goalkeeping technique, like I've said before, if you're getting two or three yards, if you're really like jumping out before the penalty struck, like, yeah, you should be penalised. And also, I don't think you're going to, if keepers that do that will not be saving a, a lot of penalties. If you watch the sort of keepers with the highest save percentage, they don't really move that much off their off their line anyway. And, and given, like you said, with the stutter, like there is going to be potential for a little bit of diving early. And like I said, because you dive forwards, there's always going to be that little bit where you will potentially be over your line. So for me, the optimum the optimum thing to do is put a sort of a threshold in there, which they can easily do because they obviously do the lines with the offside and the penalty is a completely still situation. So there's no, there should be no issue with like ball movement and the exact time the ball's hit and all that sort of stuff. So I think rather than, and they obviously have the line on the current goal line. So I think that the sort of, the easiest way to solve it for me is just put a threshold that's slightly above the goal line and that should sort it all out. Or, or you could just ban any sort of stutters. Um, but again, that I think that's actually harder to ban because when does a run-up slowing down become a stutter? I think it's a bit more of a grey area. So potentially just putting in a sort of hard boundary of rather than the goal line, maybe half a yard or something, I don't know, you'd have to test it in front of the goal line. And the goal that has to be behind that would solve a lot of these issues, I think. I think the discretion uh, with regard to keeping uh, like coming off the line for penalties, I think is a fantastic idea and is exactly what you need. I think what you are trying to eradicate in those moments are goalkeepers um, taking liberties, as it were. And co- I mean, the Sam Johnson one's probably not a good example to use if you're in favour of uh, this rule being amended or scrapped, because as you say, he does come off his line in quite a significant way. And and as as you say, I think you know maybe doesn't help him uh, technique wise. Uh, the fact that he saved it, obviously, he'll probably beg to differ. But in this instance, yeah, I think that if it's not a deliberate um, action to come and close down the goalkeeper or, or sorry, to close down the striker in in any kind of deliberate or unfair way, or they're you know ma- making 
too significant a movement, I think, then you, then you can chalk it off. But I think that, as you say, you don't want goalkeepers diving into their own net. You need to have some forward movement. Um, that's important for a lot of goalkeepers to feel secure about their positioning and feel as though if they do get to the ball and make an impressive save, they're not just going to parry it into the side netting or in off the post or whatever. They're going to be able to have enough to, to parry it out or push it away and around the post. Um, if th- you haven't got any more questions, Liam, um, I've only got one more. Oh, I do not. Um, and I'm also conscious not to take up too much of John's time because I'm sure we could quite <laughs> easily sit here all day uh, and, and discussing it. Um, and also yep. very conscious that we do have a fantastic Sunday ahead of us football-wise, um, which I'm sure all of us want to watch. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> please, please fire away, Charlie. Um, I've, uh, I've got to be at work in 19 minutes, so uh, I'll, um, I'll, uh, I'll make it quick. Um, yeah, final question, John. Very simple before we wrap up. Who's the best goalkeeper in the world? Oh, OK. I think that, that's a very good question at the moment because I think it's actually very open because there's a lot of goalkeepers that are good, are good, very good at certain things. We've got a lot of specialists at the moment, I think. So all round, yeah, it's hard. I, I think after his resurgence last year, I would have to say Manuel Neuer because I think all round... He he's he he ed- and Allison's bad end to last year means I think all round for me it's Neuer at the moment. But I think it's important to mention we've got a lot of specialists like Edison, like at sweeping and distributing, basically what Man City need, and and also being pretty effective at crosses. Edison's perfect. Like his shot stopping is not is not pushing the best in the world at all. But Man City are normally when they play well don't face a lot of shots. They just have to. He has to sweep up behind a high line and he has to play worldy passes and be able to be comfortable under pressure. And that's what he does. And I think he does that better than anyone else. But as an all-round goalkeeper, um, yeah, you're definitely. I, th- I think for me, it's going to be it's going to be Manuel Neuer. But similarly, we have also really good goalkeepers like Lloris, who are just like pure shot stoppers. Like you don't really want Luis to be on the ball playing. He's not bad, but he's not great. You don't really want him sweeping up because he's quite rash. And you don't really want him from crosses because he can, he, he's, he's got a mistake in him from, from crosses, but his shot stopping is potentially for the last five years, I'd say no one's been a better shot stopper, like pure shot stopper than, than Larice. So I think at the moment for like the best goalkeeper in the world over the previous years, it's been quite easy to say, Oh, it's definitely them. Um, but at the moment, it's quite tricky. But just because of basically his Champions League campaign and the back end of his Bundesliga form, I'd have to, I'd have to go with Manuel Neuer. Yeah. Okay. No mention for Matty Ryan there, but whatever. <laughs> no, one v ones. If we're talking about one v ones, genuinely, last year, from what I've seen, yeah, you'd have Ma- I'd have Matty Ryan and Manuel Neuer right up together for how good they are at one v ones because. Just having that sort of level of decision making in those moments, I think, sets Ryan apart because a lot of the keepers I've seen with really high one v one save percentages, often you, you you can think, will they be able to repeat that if they face the same one v ones again? Because their decisions are often not not in not in line with 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 what the model sort of suggests would be the perfect decision. But Matty Ryan, his um his decisions line up exactly with how how well he's done. So for me. If he faced another forty-one v ones this year, unless something drastic would change with his decision making, I'd imagine he'd save about seventy percent again. Brilliant! That's exactly what we want to hear. Um, thank you very, very much, John, for joining us. It's been absolutely fascinating, and I'm sure Liam will concur. It's been a really, really interesting discussion. Um, Liam, anything from you to add before we wrap up? Uh, no, n- not from me, but thank you ever so much for, for your time today uh, and, and more importantly for, for those listeners who want to then go and get a bit more um, from, from obviously just hearing us um, talk on for about an hour or so. Is please do go and check out John on Twitter. I'll of course leave his uh, his Twitter handle uh, in, in the link to the pod, but do go and check him out because um, you know it will benefit you a hell of a lot more to also see all these graphics and stuff that we've talked about. Um, and John very frequently um, provides you know breakdowns with screenshots of examples of goals um, and it makes it really, really easy to then understand because uh, I know how difficult things can be to visualise. Uh, so f- for me in particular, I can't speak on behalf of Charlie, but to see some of these things broken down into, um, you know, even though we are talking biomechanically, he will just show you a screenshot and say, oh, OK, his body weight might be off here. Um, I was particularly intrigued to see some of the stuff he did about Ilan Melier uh, and, and the goal, the, uh, yeah. the cross that he conceded at, at Palace. And, and you know, to, to gain this sort of insight um, from someone with, 
you know, such expertise in goalkeeping, um, completely free of charge in, you know, in, in your hands on, on Twitter. Um, you know, it's, it's something we're very, very grateful for. Um, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of people pay a lot of money to get this sort of uh, info. And fortunately, we're, we're able to, um, you know, have it at the, the touch of a button. So please do go check that out. Um, I'm sure we can sort of push some more Matty Ryan 1v1 propaganda um, and sort of push out those those uh, those tweets again. Um, and yeah, thank you very much for your, for your time, John. No, thank you very much for having me on. I've, I've enjoyed it a lot. It's been great chatting. Yeah, it's been fantastic, John. I mean, the, the Twitter is, is brilliant. I read, you know, a, an embarrassing amount of it yesterday and I probably gained about 60, 70 IQ points. Just, just <laughs> uh, really, really good stuff. Um, so everyone, please do go and check that out, as, as we said. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening and we will see you in the next episode. 